Amen. You may be seated. Um, real quick, um, we have some great musicians that are in our ministry that Megan works with. Um, yeah, give them a hand. Um, but it's always, it's always a special week. They're all good, but it's always a special week when, when Jeff and I get to come back from being on the road. They play professionally with a show called Decades Rewind. And when they're here with us, man, they're awesome. So thank you, guys. That was great. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, real quick, tonight, uh, put that up there. They did, a, they did a study, a survey, a poll about the Super Bowl tonight. You got that picture ready for me? There we go. So what this is, this... This is an explanation of where in the country people are cheering for the Patriots and where in the country people are cheering for the Falcons. As you can see, the Falcons are the overwhelming favorite. So we'll see you guys tonight. Oh, he's so ugly. God, get that off there. Get that off there. Okay, so today we're talking. Get it off. Okay, good. All right. Jesus in Genesis Week five, name of the message today is, man, that's a nice boat. You going to get it? Yeah, that's fun, all right? Um, Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. Before I get that, you see that boat right there? It's called the, uh, it's an, uh, the Avenger. It belongs to some people that are part of Grace Life. They're Grzini's, Zach Grzini's boat. They took me out on this great boat about a month ago. Uh, see that fish right there? I caught that. It's true. I did catch that. It was a big Goliath grouper. 800 pounds, well, 400 pounds, and then um, we had a great time, and it was a really nice boat. It had a great stereo. We were listening to Boston and ZZ Top as we're zipping out into the Gulf, and it was great. So uh, it's a nice boat. I love nice boats. Who doesn't, right? Well, we're going to talk about a really nice boat today. We're talking about Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 through 14, and then 17 to 18. Let me just read this passage to you. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted all their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself a boat. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish a promise or a covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. He took two, of the, two by two of the animals and all those things, and that was the story of Noah's ark. So I want to go through the history of this passage today so you understand what's going on. First of all, historical application. First thing I want you to know is people got busy. The line of Cain had taken over. And Cain's people were having mad babies all over the place. Kids left and right. Kids galore. But in the process of that, something else had happened. You guys remember the story last week about Cain, how he killed Abel. And there was another seed appointed. His name was Seth. And so what was happening here is the line of Seth, which is Noah's family, basically just eight of them, had become very small. The line of Cain had kind of taken over the gene pool, the genealogy of the earth. Noah and his family were the only ones left that called upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says. That's all that was left. No one else cared about God. No one else cared about being right with God. No one else cared about truth. No one else cared about the gospel. It was just Noah and his family and everyone else. And the passage explains to us that the depth of wickedness had gotten to such incredible levels. 
greater than anything we could imagine today. I mean, think about it. These people were brilliant people. Can you imagine how sinful you would be if you were a genius and you lived hundreds of years? How good would you get at becoming sinful? Creative, intelligent, plenty of time on your hands. You would become a very prolific sinner, would you not? This is what's happening throughout the earth at this time. And the scripture says the evil had gotten so deep that you couldn't imagine it. These people live their lives without the knowledge or fear of judgment. They feared no reprisals for who they were and what they were doing and how they lived. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 24 says this, 38 and 39, it says this. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So that's what's going on. These people in the world at the time are doing whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, to whomever they want to do it. They're doing whatever they feel like doing, and they have no fear or connection or concept of an absolute moral code in the universe. They have no concept of having a personal relationship with God who created the world. It wasn't that they didn't know about God. They all knew about it. They just didn't care. And so Noah follows this crazy instruction to build a huge boat that wasn't near the ocean. (laughs) And people mocked him relentlessly, the scripture says. He is a man of faith doing something outwardly crazy in a world that is filled with people with one thing on their mind. How many ways can I fulfill my flesh? That's the state of the world. Now let's look at the theology. God saves Noah and us. Now can you imagine where we would be right now if the flood had not purged the line of Cain? I mean, you think the earth is evil now? Could you imagine how bad it could be if it were filled only with Cain's people and no Seth people? Because that's what would have happened if God had not intervened. I can promise you this, we would not be living the grace life today. The other thing is, do you think nobody had ever invented a boat? These were smart people. They weren't mocking because a boat to float on the water, that's stupid. I'm pretty sure these people knew about the ocean and liked fishing, and I'm sure they had built boats before. Here's the difference, though. This boat was the one that God had chosen. It was the only boat in the world that God designed to weather the storms of life for Noah and his family. This was a special boat. So what God does, he waits patiently for the ark to be built. This wasn't like a weekend project. Go out and build an ark that's really huge. I'll be back to you on Tuesday. We're going to roll. This took some time. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says this. God awaited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. He put up with the line of Cain who was doing the stuff they weren't supposed to do for this reason. I'm going to put up with the wickedness because I'm going to save my people. And, I will, and it, the, the, the boat took a long time to build, and God waited patiently. 
And then what else God does? He resolves the Cain problem with the flood. <clears throat> Scripture says, put an end to all people, destroy them in the earth, and everything on earth will perish. And what this does, I think if I remember, I can't believe I remember if I said this in deep end on Tuesday nights or here last week. Do you understand the whole Old Testament, when you look at it, here's the theme. How is God protecting the line of Jesus? Almost every story you hear is about how God intervenes and keeps the enemy from destroying the line that would give us King David and later on King Jesus. And that's the problem that God resolves. <clears throat> Second Peter Chapter 3, 6 and 7. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction for ungodly men. So the first time he used water, the second time he uses fire. But what I want you to see really is cool is the ark carries them through. God seeks and sees them through the judgment of the flood through the work of the ark. 1 Peter chapter 3.21, it says this. In it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is the scripture explaining, look, you think the, the water was judgment. And it was. But God also used that judgment to point the way to salvation. All right. So that's the theological side. This is what God does. And you guys know I like to get through that as fast as I can so I can have the fun time with you. We'll talk about devotional application. Man, that's a nice boat. So before the flood, everyone laughed at Noah's boat. During the flood, I bet they were thinking, man, that's a nice boat. It's sort of like how many people view faith and the gospel today. They mock it. They dismiss it. You can have that if you want. No, if you want to build a boat, knock yourself out. You want to follow this Jesus guy? Knock yourself out. And just as when Noah was in the ark, the cross turns the floodwaters into a reminder of his grace and mercy. Matter of fact, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Listen to what this says. This is amazing. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. In other words, those who take the gospel to those who need to hear it. He gave them, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves. You see the picture? And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, I want you to understand something. We cannot really appreciate how nice the boat is until we've been given an understanding about how terrible the flood is. 
And that's what Ephesians tells us. He's given us people and he's given us a message so that we can hear it, so that what God will do is he will take this message and bring us together into the fullness of Christ so that we can survive on the ark. We can't fall in love with the ark. We can't fall in love with how great the boat is. We can't fall in love with grace without understanding how terrible the flood would be without it. We can't understand how great grace is without understanding the severity of our plight. What was going on in Genesis? They were living their life with no worry or even thought of judgment. Why would they need grace? We don't need grace. We don't need your stupid, massive boat, Noah. That's stupid. We have our lives. That's all we need. That's it. And if we don't understand the plight of our sinfulness, the plight of what we deserve, we can't fall in love with grace. Because what we see is a couple of things. Outside the ark, every wave, I wrote this down because I stole it from someone, so I had to write it down. (laughs) Nobody wasn't published. It was a friend of mine. I put on my, you know, I do my Sunday sermon preview. Right? I put it up there, and a friend in New York who's a pastor wrote down some stuff, and I said, i got to take it down. You're too close to what I'm preaching. So I took it down, and I told him I was going to steal it. So inside the ark, every wave is a reminder of how amazing grace is. Also, it's a reminder of how much I don't deserve this beautiful boat. I mean, think about this. You think you got problems in life? I'm not minimizing them. But think about what Noah was going through. Imagine what he thought as he saw his world that he knew disappearing around him. And all he had left to cling to was his faith that God would preserve him through this boat. Imagine what he must have been thinking when the water started coming. Outside the ark, every salty splash in our eyes reveals the consequences of our sinfulness. It gives perspective when you're outside the boat, right? How big the boat of grace is when you try to get in it on your own. You ever tried to get into a boat on your own without a ladder? Even a small one? Like, can't reach, right? I feel really short. That's kind of what it's like when you're outside the boat of grace. You're looking at this boat. It's huge. I got to get in. I, I can't reach. I can't get myself in. And recognizing we have no hope of being in the boat unless God picks us up and puts us in. Okay, this picture, let me explain this picture. This was the yacht of the year in 2015. It's called Grace. Yes. Yeah, you see that put it together, Grace boat, good. It's an actual boat. And I was looking through pictures of it online all week, and it's just amazing inside and out. It is gorgeous. It is beautiful. And if I had to go through a flood, I'd want it to be in this boat right there. (laughs) See, it's this perspective that allows us to see how massive the ark of God's grace is. On our own, we can never escape the storms of depravity that we deserve, let alone the depravity that the world is heaping on us. The only ways if God calls us, gives us the gift of faith like he did Noah to do something silly, which is build a massive boat, and to put his trust in it. 
And as this boat protects us through the stormy world of depravity, safely tucked away in his grace, sure, we feel the massive waves crashing against the hull of the ark in our lives. And those of you that know my family, you know we've been through storms and waves. Some of them due to my own depravity. Some of them due to the depravity of others. And sometimes they have been huge waves that I don't think I could have ever survived. Many of you know the specifics. I won't get into them all. But I've had a lot of waves that would have just buried me. But when I was in ninth grade, didn't have a care really about judgment or God. God enlightened me. He quickened me. He lifted me up out of the ocean and put me on the ark, which is Jesus. The ark is Jesus. And that gift of faith he gave me when I was a freshman in high school gave me a lifelong total trust in God's grace. And even when big waves do come upon me, Waves that would surely drown me if I were not in the boat. Even when the world around me tells me how stupid my stupid faith is and how foolish and silly it is to believe in this God, I know differently. Because I have felt what the waves would have done to me had I not been in the boat. Even as they are tossed about, those who doubt, even as they are tossed about, on their ocean of depravity, with a terrible end in sight, me, because of faith, which is a gift, I'm safe inside the ark. That ark is Jesus and the cross. I am living the grace life. You guys know what the grace life is by now, right? It's a culture we're trying to build. Things are going good, it's the grace life. Things are going bad, you know what, it's the grace life. I've got people around me, it's the grace life. I'm struggling, it's the grace life. I disappointed a friend, they forgave me, it's a grace life. It's a culture we're building, and the culture is in the boat, which is Jesus. I'm safe in the ark, living the grace life. Maybe today, right now, as you deal with your own depravity driven by the storms of life. Maybe for the first time, God is reaching down and lifting you up out of the water and bringing you on board. This is the grace life, guys. It's abiding in the ark that is Jesus. And I can tell you from my own personal experience as I live within this culture we call the grace life, man, this sure is a nice boat. Amen. I would never want to be in another boat. This is my boat. I'm glad many of you are in it with me. And those that aren't, I'm praying, God, pick them up. Put them in. I want them in my boat. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of people. It's safe. I don't have to worry about the waves of life destroying me because I know that while I deserve the judgment of the waves, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ has given me the gift of faith to trust in the boat, the ark of Jesus Christ. That's the picture of Jesus in the story of Noah's ark.
Heavenly Dad, I'm just so thankful that you've given us such an awesome boat with its staterooms and the provisions and the people. What an amazing crew. God, I'm so glad that when the storms start to rage, the waves are crashing, we can feel them maybe rattle the boat sometimes. I have absolute confidence that this boat will not let me down. And I am living the grace life on your boat of grace through the gospel and through the cross.